Welcome to Security Heroes, a podcast by Athena Security. We share real life stories to help connect you to real heroes in the security world. I'm your host, Lisa Falzone. Warning, the following recording contains potentially disturbing content. Listener discretion advised. Joining me today is Tony York, the Executive Vice President of Paladin Security Group. Tony has an incredible track record of developing and strengthening security programs and is recognized for being an engaging and influential leader in the healthcare security field. In addition to that, he is frequently quoted in national broadcast media on healthcare security-related topics. His articles and quotes have appeared in national publications and media outlets such as Joint Commission Resources, CNN, Modern Healthcare, The New York Times, and many trade publications. Welcome, Tony! Thanks, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. So just to start off, what's your role been in promoting better security policies? Well, many ways. It started being involved in writing the fifth edition of Hospital and Healthcare Security, which really, in a collaboration with Russ Colling, who put that first book out in the first four editions of Hospital Security out, it was really trying to drive a lot of the way people thought about security, not trying to be very directive as much as making certain that they understood the pros, the cons, and the options that were available. But in, uh, I had a chance to serve on the IHSS Board of Directors in, from really 2003 to 2009. But at the very hills of that time, we ended up as a collective said, let's update the position statements that were being driven by the IHSS. And we ended up making them guidelines. And since 2009, when I left the board, I have been very intimately involved in the IHSS Council on Guidelines, which right now, I think we're somewhere in the neighborhood of about 80 different guidelines between the operational guidelines that I think are really creating the standard of care for healthcare security, as well as the design guidelines for healthcare facilities, which is really trying to drive how the built environment is really leveraging the layers of protection and and thinking about security from an architectural building design and the engineering plans that come from that. Awesome. Can you say the publications one more time? Yeah, certainly. IHSS, the International Association for Healthcare Security and Safety, publishes two booklets. The Healthcare Security Industry Guidelines is one. It's in its 13th edition, but if members are listening, it's available online to the members or it could be acquired for non-members. And then the Security Design Guidelines for Healthcare Facilities, which is currently in its third edition, but it will be, it's actually in the process of being revised right now. A fourth edition is in the works with a group of us that are trying to build that. Awesome. Yeah, I think just the general public has no clue about how much, you know, violence is happening in healthcare, in the emergency rooms. And then also they just don't know where to go. So once they are aware of those problems, so having those resources is great. So thanks for mentioning that. Oh, certainly. It's so funny you say that because if you sit on a plane with somebody and say, hey, what do you do for a living? It's amazing to me how many times somebody will say, what do you mean? They need security in a hospital? Talking about the issues we face. Yes, it is eye-opening to them. And we don't want to create scare and concern for those that are using the services of a healthcare organization. But at the same time, there's a lot of volatility. Absolutely. And we need to protect our nurses and doctors, especially those you know in the emergency rooms. Without that, it's so critical for society to function. So what sparked your interest in pursuing a career in the security field? 
You know, it's funny you asked me that question. I'm one of the few folks that you'll probably ever talk to that said, hey, I wanted to be a professional healthcare security individual. And it really probably started around the dinner table when I was in high school, where my sister was an ER admitting clerk for a local hospital. And she would just share a lot about what was going on. I was a criminal justice undergrad and just found the private sector and fell in love with healthcare. And I saw security and risk management and business coming together. And it fed this desire to really serve others. And when I got exposed to it, I just fell in love with it. And that was back in 1993. And I have been doing it ever since. Well, I think that is awesome. And you are one of the very rare people that I've spoken to that has wanted to do that since they were a child. I think it's a great field. And that's kind of one of my goals of this podcast is to help people understand what it is and that it is a great field to go into. There's so much demand for it, especially those coming out of the military and those you know that want to serve others. So I think it's great. And obviously, you've followed your passion because you've been so successful with it. So... Yeah, you know, it's been a wonderful career. And and I try to share with people all the time the positions that are available and the ability to really folks who are servant leaders and want to be able to give back to the societal good, it's a place to make a difference. There are a lot of folks that, you know, that have come from other careers that it's interesting. You talk to them, they didn't really target it, but when they found it, they have spent a lot of time in it. I mean, 15, 20, 30 years in their own right. And and it's a noble profession and it's growing. The essential nature of healthcare security is unlike any time I've ever seen it in my past. Why is it like unlike any other time you've seen it in your past? Well, you know, Lisa, when I first got in this business, I mean, we were basically the security focus was sight unseen, right? You know, come out when needed, but don't really be too present because we didn't want to create a security state. We didn't want to create unnecessary concern by a large presence. And the overall resourcing to security was considered mostly the persons that wore the uniform, not all the people, not all the other processes, not all of the technology that we're deploying today. But when you start contemplating that even further, you start thinking about, well, what happened over the course of time? I mean, one, we had 9-11 happen, and those Mm -hmm. events really opened up the eyes of how important security was. And not just the people wearing the uniform, but everything that we were doing to keep environments safe. And that's when a lot of manufacturers started saying, let's start putting investments in that. And we started seeing innovation happen that really changed the dynamics of our security systems in many ways for the betterment of so many. But what also has happened since that time is now, you know, we had Katrina occur shortly thereafter. It put a premium on emergency management, the principles of business continuity and resiliency, and the lessons that we learned from those horrific events back in 2005. But then what happened is we started seeing something that was volatility with violence and patient-generated violence. You know, a lot of times we talk about workplace violence. And, you know, when I first got into my in this business, we used to refer to something as going postal, right? Because we had so many issues happening in our post offices here in the U.S. But today, when I think about healthcare, we're dealing with something that is really causing a lot of concerns. And the volatility that we're dealing with is not always intentional. There's plenty of that. I want to make certain that we state that. But there's a lot of unintentional volatility that happens because someone has a closed head injury. Someone was in a car accident. Someone's just emotionally distraught or they're in a behavioral health crisis based on other issues that have happened in life. And those community events 
most all of them find their way inside of a healthcare organization. And what's happened today is now with the pandemic, and it was starting to happen even before, we were seeing an arc where the volatility was growing. But what happened in the pandemic is we started seeing some of the uglier sides of people, but it also drove something else. We had a recession in 08, if you recall. And what ended up happening is we did not lose as many care providers. The nursing staff members that were anticipated to be lost, just in general thinking, didn't happen at that pace. But what did occur since then is that we started seeing their recovery and their financial investments. And when COVID happened, we saw a lot of people leaving the workforce. And we had a lot of people who just never came back. A lot of it was retirement. Others were concerned. But you couple that issue with the volatility that happened, and now all of a sudden, the executive staff started realizing security wasn't just a nicety, it was a necessity. And what occurred as well is we needed to have well-being for our staff. We needed to be thoughtful. And the culture of tolerance had really changed because I think we became much more aware of how prevalent the issue of violence and patient-generated and visitor-generated violence had become. And as a result, that's what's really driving a lot of, of change because the many of the employees, the nurses, the doctors, and they're not just in the emergency department, they're in general med surge and in the ICUs. They're not just in your what was historically a, a higher risk environment. Today, they're all across the care locations and even at the front desk receptionists, the volunteers that are really dedicating and giving of their time. They are dealing with something that is historically wasn't at play. And so now we're starting to say, what can we do differently? And how do we bring in various mitigations while still being open by still being welcoming? None of us want to create a security state. We want to create a safe environment so care can be rendered in the most quality way and the safest way possible. But why is it essential today is because people are leaving the industry because they don't feel safe. And as a result of that, it's created a really big pinch on something that's just at its base important to healthcare, and that is having enough qualified personnel to safely render care. And I think we finally have reached this tipping point that says, what do we got to do differently? And so you're seeing a premium on the people that are wearing the uniforms, that are providing service, the expectations of those individuals, the investments in capital infrastructure whether it's the renovation in the built environment itself or the technology that's being deployed to really be smart. But it's also interesting to me is seeing the committees that have been formed, the policies that are being driven, that are really trying to do everything in their power to say, we're going to make this environment safer than it ever has been. And frankly, I think that's what's elevated the role of security in many, many ways. Oh, that's so awesome. You touched on so many interesting things. Thank you so much. Uh, can you just talk a little bit more about how you guys work on, you know, making it safer and some of the heroic efforts that you're doing? It's Paladin, right? That's how you say it? Yeah, the Paladin group of companies, Paladin Security, which many people in the Canadian market are very familiar with. It is Paladin Technologies. It is uh, Paladin Risk Solutions. And here in the U.S., uh, we go under the brand of Pal American Security, which is uh, all of us are very uniquely working together and partnered to make certain we do everything in our power to, to create a safer healthcare environment. The healthcare industry is my focus, and I get a, a, the privilege of working with a lot of wonderful colleagues to try to 
really make certain because the healthcare we've got a very very long tall flag deeply planted because that's what we want to be in is it is the healthcare space and it's not an easy space to be in let me just share that with you but what are we doing i mean in so many ways if you would have asked me 15 years ago lisa what's the greatest vulnerability facing healthcare i would have said the uncontrolled access to the organization after hours was a big big concern but so it was during the daytime today what have we done we now have limited number of doors we've made a large investment in varying levels of access control to make certain that we understand how we want the patient experience to occur, but in a manner that is actually hidden behind something that is really solid security principle. But in so many ways, we're also trying to make certain we're designing security into these new hospitals, into the renovated spaces, so that we're contemplating not just where the cameras are located and that and access control readers are positioned. We're talking about how does traffic flow through and out of the organization? What's on stage? What's off stage? What are we doing for lighting and landscaping in the external environment and making certain that we're managing the perception of safety, the psychological deterrents that really do help thwart the malfeasance that we know are going to try to cause harm? and say, hey, we're hardening this target. We may not change their desire to want to do harm against someone, but we hope to make certain that they choose another location instead of the one we're having. But what that also has done is with technology. I mean, you think about it, a few short years ago, we only had metal screening in a very select number of locations. And it was traditional metal screening, ferrous metal screening. Today, we look at what's happening inside of our organizations, and we have software and hardware that is now really being thoughtful about throughput, really being considered about making us not having to have these long queuing lines that we were always so worried about when it came to the perceptions that were being monitored by, you know, the folks in marketing and the administrative staff and saying, what's the general public saying about our environment to the day that we can actually have a full appreciation of what people are bringing in and stop only those that we're concerned about. And it's such a difference maker for how things are moving. And for anybody who's listening to this conversation, it's all you have to do is talk to anyone who's ever deployed such technology and see what is being pulled from these individuals. And you just realize how quickly what is coming inside these organizations. It's scary. I mean, it's not just firearms. I mean, there's ample there. It's not just edged weapons, but I mean, I've seen swords that are sheathed inside of a cane. I've seen pickaxes. I've seen ice picks. I've seen so many chemical agents that it's just amazing. I mean, the boxes upon boxes of items that are being pulled. And why is that so important is that those are the things we historically didn't know. I'm convinced we're still not where we're going to be. I'm convinced in five years, this is going to be the standard of care for all of healthcare. We're going to follow other industries on that same front you thinking about aviation, thinking about a lot of governmental industries as well, that I think this is going to be the case. And thankfully, why is that important? It's because what we're doing right now is trying to create a safer environment, but managing perceptions in addition to the real events that are happening. And what used to be, oh, we don't want to cause concern. Now I think we're finding that the stakeholders, the employees, and even the visitors and the patients are thinking of that as not as an inconvenience as much as it's a basic table stakes. Like that's a game changer. And the administrative staff themselves have also taken a vested interest because they want to sleep at night knowing that they've done everything in their power 
to keep these organizations safe. And I'm having many, many conversations with those hospital leaders that are saying, what are we doing differently? Are we doing the right things? Do we have the right plans in place? And that's including, you know, the training that's being being provided and expected of those officers. And that's what we like to do is say, not just focus in on one aspect, but all aspects of keeping these environments safe. I mean, if I was to tell you, Lisa, when I'm making recommendations for somebody, the last thing I really want to do is add to their OPEX. The last thing I really want to do is add to their total employment count. But sometimes it is the right call. So what else can we do for, hey, do we have the right policies in place? Do we have the right education systems in place? Do we have the right approach to making certain people understand the role in how they keep the environment safe, not just making it one person's responsibility who wears a uniform in security? And I think that's making a big difference. And as Paladin and a family of companies, what we're trying to do is bring that and then some. I mean, one of the best tools that I've had provided to me in the last several years is the ability to monitor social media, right? To be able to put a geofence around a name, an organization, a territory, and be able to understand what are people saying? It's amazing. You get a lot of compliments. The marketing folks love what that marketing is saying. The security folks were saying, oh my God, they're concerned. They're expressing some behavior. I had a CEO share with me recently and she said, well, we have a no weekend email policy. And somebody had said, well, and she got the email on a Monday morning based on a threat that was made against her life on a Saturday afternoon. And you know, she was asking, what could I have done differently? I said, well, we need to understand what's being said because what we know, especially about some of the most horrific events that have been happening, there has been foreshadowing. There has been people right. who've been saying what they intend to do, been monitoring it. And so what we're trying to do as a company, and I know others are as well, but we're really trying to say, how do we bring that awareness to it so we give ourselves the gift of time to put an appropriate reactionary plan in place? And that's a, it's nothing's 100% foolproof, but is making a difference. And I think we're learning. And while we're also getting a lot of other market intelligence, I should say that because I, I think there's a lot of gains and benefits that are beyond just the security approach. I could carry forward with a lot of other things we're trying to accomplish as a family of companies, but those are some of the real key elements. So the social media monitoring, is that your, is that Paladin or is that another company? And if you wouldn't mind saying who it is. Yeah, it's us. It's Paladin Risk Solutions. Okay. And it's called Blue Sky Monitoring. And Blue okay. Sky Monitoring is a software-based app that is something that we monitor with analysts behind the scenes that are very well-versed in understanding threat assessment and management. And what we're trying to do is make certain organizations are very much aware. Again, a lot of it is very security-oriented, but it's amazing to me how much valuable insights the marketing and the communications groups are able to ascertain as well from such a capability. That we're bringing to their conversation. Do you guys sell that to schools too, or uh, mainly hospitals? I mean, we're yeah. open to selling it. I mean, we're, yeah. we're open. It's not just healthcare focused. I mean, the concept. I mean, that's where we spend a lot of energy, obviously. Sure. But yeah, it could be K through twelve, higher eds, the high rises, in any area that really believes they they want to know more about what others are saying about them, an individual within their group, texting kind of capabilities that uh, are there, or. They just want to make certain geofence territory and just say, okay, what's happening in the realm? This is a little bit more of an all-hazards approach too. So if there are other things happening in the community and it's not uh-huh. just somebody saying it, 
we try to feed that information so folks are recognizing. We got organizations that like it because they're able to get some communication to their front line. And if there's major backups in the traffic and it's close to shift change, right? I mean, it's if there's major weather that's uh, forecasted to come in, it's a means and a subscription service so we can give the access to the information readily. And folks are finding it, it's it's almost like a Twitter feed, right? I mean, that's right. what it typically works. I think it's a really cool solution. And yeah, I think it's really neat and uh, can help save a lot of lives. So what are the challenges you face in implementing adequate security operations? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say in many ways, you know, finding people who are mission oriented in an environment where we are dealing with major labor shortage, right? Across the U.S., across North America, frankly. And it's a game of numbers in many ways. I mean, I'm an old member of Vistage, which is in a CEO collaboration group. And we had a speaker, I think it was an 18 who sort of forecasted what was coming on. And the individual said, hey, right now there's, and this was US-based, there's 85 million baby boomers in the workforce. There were 65 million Gen Xers, and there's 75 million millennials. And when you start doing the math and you start seeing who's feeding what, what we're seeing is there's going to be a Darth of 10 million people that we're going to be needing. And what's happening is we're still seeing growth in our economy. We're still seeing growth but finding people who want to be able to accept the responsibilities of a healthcare security officer, the mission focus, but also hold themselves to a very high standard to manage disruptive behavior, handle that with grace, and then know when it is the right time to appropriately intervene. A lot of times it's verbal, but there are times when it has to be a physical intervention because of just for safe care to be rendered. And what's happening is, is that we still have a lot of organizations that are out there that are treating the healthcare security officer without the level of respect I think it deserves. I think it's still being treated like an entry-level workforce. You know, when I'm evaluating different type of salary structures and consulting with organizations, what I'm learning is, is that, you know, the local McDonald's might be within a buck and a half or two bucks of where the starting wage for the security. Right. And the Amazon Fulfillment Center may be higher than that. And what's so sad is, is that we hold these individuals to very, very high standards. And that's all of us in this industry, but we're not remunerating them in a manner that makes the most sense. We're not giving them the total reward structure that I think totally. is serving. And I feel like that's challenging this industry because there's a lot of folks that there's a lot of choices for them where they work. And very few of those choices mean they have to deal with a level of, of aggression, assaultive behavior, disruption. And some of the other just just uglinesses that happen, right? And inside of these environments that most industries just don't have. I mean, a lot of service mentality, but you got to blend that in and sprinkle in the right level of enforcement at the right time. Because what's interesting is our regulatory bodies put a tremendous amount of scrutiny on these folks. I mean, with everything that they do. And, and they're treated from a credentialing perspective, very much like a care provider, but we haven't evolved them. And we're starting to see that, Lisa. I'm really excited to see as we raise the bar of professionalism, many organizations are raising that bar along it, alongside it and are really pushing the needle. And not to say that compensation is everything because that helps attract, but we've got to be able to really stave off the level of retention and more importantly, how engaged these individuals are because the growth of the private security sector, especially in healthcare, is, is astronomical. I mean, if we were looking at a compounded annual growth rate or a CAGR, we'd be in a position saying, holy cow, it is just growing rapidly. 
but the expectations are as well. And so these hospitals and health systems are saying, man, my spend has increased exponentially, but it's not always, it's in volume of staff, not just in how we're putting the total rewards program. And I think that's driving a big need. And that means that an industry that has always had some concerns with turnover continues to face it, which means the more investment you're making, the harder it has become to continue to make certain that you're getting the right people at the right time who really are providing the right level of, of interaction. And that's not model-based. I know hospitals that are self-performing the service. There's organizations like ours that are doing this as a third-party contractor, and we're all fighting this issue. Everyone is facing that. And I think that's one of the, the continued biggest challenges that we're going to have to continue to face. And that's something I know the industry is working hard to combat, but it's, it's a slow slog. It really has been something that's taking a, a while to address. And even when we think we make good strides, it's slow because what does that really mean at the end of the day? Risk tolerance. And that variable really means this. Many different organizations will have to look at it and say, I know what I should do, but this is all I can do. And that could be, you know, form does follow finance in so many different circumstances. But in that circumstance, Lisa, what we're finding is, is that we are seeing that some organizations have a much larger risk appetite than others. And others don't want to see any events happen and they want to try to stop all things from occurring. Others are just recognizing they they can't and how they're managing the volatility that's happening inside uh, their emergency departments, inside their ICUs, inside their behavioral health units, and how the security officer can help with that is something that they're, they can't always find the resources to allocate to really to fix the issue. So the challenge is, I've said this a lot in the last year, it's never been a better time to be in the healthcare security space. It's more central now than it ever has been, but it's never been harder. It's never yeah. been challenging. It's never been more difficult. And those two things combined are, I think all of our industry is facing it and we're trying to work together. That's the beauty of it. There's a lot of collaboration in this space and there's some wonderful souls that give everything they have to give keep healthcare safe too, which is something I'm so proud of our colleagues that are out there in these hospitals and these health systems. Totally. I've met some just, including you, obviously, but just some really amazing people that are so passionate about the issue and the issues that we're experiencing in violence in healthcare. So just tell me about a firsthand experience where you or your team responded to a security situation that threatened the lives of people in your facility. Yeah, you know, I um I got two that I could probably talk about, and and they're actually uh, Medal of Valor award winners from IHSS over the course of the last two years. One, let me tell you about Alan Majors. Alan was an armed emergency department officer, and Alan we refer to it as an ED box, but or ED gate, and worked in the chairs of the waiting room of this particular emergency department, and an individual comes in who's armed. And the firearm is out as he walks right into the front door. And, and at this particular place, walked in and he is pointing the gun at another female who is inside the environment. Alan was able to get in behind the individual. He unholstered and had his farm out and was able to successfully get the individual to cooperate with his commands. And thankfully, the individual uh, was adhered to everything that was asked. But you think about that situation where Alan had to basically engage into a situation that could have just been horrific. There's another one 
I would just share with you is, is Lori Tavares. And Lori faced a situation, I think, almost unheard of in our space. But she was working, she was a supervisor working at a hospital, had a infant care unit that most have, but there was a, an expectant mom and an expectant dad. And unfortunately, the dad was, I'll just say, I think he went into a behavioral health crisis and went into one of the, a different room and grabbed an infant and had the infant in hand. And Lori was able to basically intervene and that was able to get the infant from him. That individual went to another place she, and she was, she was alone. There were other staff members there, but she was the only security officer present at that particular moment. And she was getting that infant into the right hands of the care provider, the mother. I forget exactly who, but then the individual went and grabbed another infant. And she had to intervene not once, but twice and was very successful in this circumstance. But Lisa, what I would just share with you is she had to demonstrate heroism. And so did Alan in his circumstance in a situation that is just, I mean, you can't train for that. I mean, you just don't even, I don't know if I have the creativity to be able to think about such a scenario, to even talk about that in training and what do you do? But she applied her principles. She really went to a de-escalation. She got engaged with the individual. And I'm just happy to tell you, both of those infants are safe. Obviously, you can imagine what that did to shake the family and all of us in, in that organization. It was a beautiful situation. But Lisa, let me tell you about a third situation that was probably one of the, it's not really heroism in a physical intervention as much as it was a patient intervention. And in this situation, I'll share this story with you. It was a, a teenager who'd been in and out of the hospitals. And I got this information. I'll just give you the, the bottom line up front. This came to me as a letter from this individual's mom. And she shared with me that her son had been in and out of treatment and had been in and out of treatment. And he had been very disruptive, so disruptive that there had to be some control techniques be deployed for get control of the situation. And actually, the right call was to put the individual in restraints. And that situation happened. But this particular officer who not only was involved in that, was also asked to do the security watch for the individual, which is quite common in this business. But the officer had an interaction with her son that actually went so well, as she said and described to me in her letter, humanized him, that she didn't treat him like somebody who'd just been in and out and all she wanted was him to just behave and get out and go to the next. She conversed with him, had a conversation, made him feel like he was someone who was meaningful, who had a purpose in life. I'll just share with you, Lori, the interaction that officer had, who had to go hands-on and apply restraints, and then in turn watch the individual for several hours. Not only did she get covers for him, get warm towels to get him warm, because he was fighting his own demons, and ice chips you know, after getting the permission from the care providers. But what it did for that individual, the mom said that he ended up feeling so good about the situation, he actually got the help he needed, and he's been alcohol-free ever since. That story, to me, just says, you know, we think about heroism being a physical intervention, and Alan and Lori are demonstrative of that, but here was this particular officer who was so engaged with this individual that they helped them, helped them in life, not just right. in circumstance. And so, to me, that's a hero in action. 
And, and all three are just wonderful stories. And God, I could probably go on for the rest of the day about some of the wonderful stories, but those are three that really come top of mind. But thank you so much for sharing. How do we go about recruiting more people like Lori and Alan and the other individual that you talked about? You know, you were mentioning the labor shortage and we hear the same thing when we're, you know, out there talking to healthcare security folks. So it's, how do we solve this problem? How do we get these really passionate individuals involved? Well, one, we got to make certain people understand healthcare security is not like any other security industry. It's, I mean, you know, Paul Blart was a funny movie. I laughed pretty hard, but it, it really did a service for our industry because, you know, it's mall cop. And how many times do you hear someone refer to the mall cop or something like yeah. that? I grew up in the shadows of Mayberry, and I don't know if you ever watched Andy Griffith, but uh, I'm a North Carolina boy who lives in Colorado now. But, you know, when the bank guard on Andy was asleep and he'd come up and his gun would fall apart, or you had Barney who was pulling his bullet out of his pocket. I mean, right, those are the kinds of things that I think people are have historically, you know, tried to look at it. I know even when I first got into my industry, Lisa, it was odd because I had some people say, what are you doing? Why are you making this a focus? So I'll be candid. I got chastised a little bit, and but I stay true to, to my desires and my goals. But in saying that, why is that all important? Because we have to change the mentality. I'm I'm a big believer. We're not just make. We're not just stopping bad. And I think what we want to do is how do we bring that awareness of this profession? There's so many people that just step into this or they back into this space. Because there's a need that they may be filling for a job or they have maybe desire to be in law enforcement. And this is a great stepping stone that someone might have encouraged them. But there's no awareness that this industry is omnipresent. If you really look in the educational systems, there's not many programs sitting out there that says, let's focus in on hospital security. I think Ben Scaglione is trying to do a little bit of that with John Jay out of New York or, or SUNY in New York. And... It's one of the few programs. There's Eastern. What is it? What is it called? State University of or City University of New York, John Jay College, who's long been a huge supporter of security in all industries. But they're now finally trying to create some programs for the healthcare space that Ben is leading, and thankfully so. But what we're needing to do is, I said this when we were in Nashville at the IHSS. How do we bring some public service announcements to this is a space that you can get back to. This is a space that is so mission-oriented. It can fill your oh, mission yeah, totally. in your head. And that's yeah. what we're going to see us try to bring attention to because I think we have a, a perception that we have to overcome that unfortunately is rooted in some negative connotation that I think we want to make certain that, that society as a whole and those contemplating this space understand it better because we are professionalizing healthcare security. It is changing and changing rapidly. and Thank God for the IHSS, because that's where a lot of this is stimulating from. But in the same vein, we have to continue to let people see what good can be done and how fulfilling it can be. I talked about wages for a moment, but to me, that's not what keeps people retained. And that definitely doesn't totally. keep engaged. Engagement is how do they feel about the interests they have, the career that they can take, the opportunities that it can be present, the ability to truly make a difference. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to, it's not totally my idea, but it's like, how do we, you know, I just think that we should be recruiting more also from the military. It's like these men and women, you know, retire from the military. They miss that passion, like that passion, that mission. And it's like, wow, this is just such a great, in my opinion, this is like such a great 
kind of second career for them and give them that a similar mission, right? That they might've had in Afghanistan or so anyway, I'm sure you've thought about it, but it's like, I think that is a really great. Our veterans are such an important part of our current employment makeup in the future. And I know our organization targets them as much as we can. I know others have as well. I think it's a um, one, they've already shown their commitment and put forward a, a lot to get to where they're at. And, and as they, whether they only did their four or they uh, did a career, they have been phenomenal for us. But I still don't think that feeds the entire need of volume. So I think right. what we have to continue to do is, you know, I personally think we need to be reaching out in the high schools, let them not think of the security guard and mall cop, but think of their security professionals that can have a career that can be very, very promising. And the compensation withstanding, which does drive a lot of positives that come in behind it too. I mean, I've seen the opportunities from being an investigator, being a crime prevention educator, being a trainer, being a supervisor, being a manager, being a director, being a workplace violence coordinator. I mean, the roles and the positions, being a security systems engineer, I mean, these capabilities. And I don't think folks are seeing the career orientation. And I know for our organization, and I know others are very like-minded, we're trying to help them see what are those opportunities so they don't feel like they got to go elsewhere to grow and to expand even if they want to try to do something different, but stay close to the space. So do you guys do anything to recruit these kids from high school or college or what do you guys do specifically? Yeah, a lot of internships. I developed a program called Security Project Coordinator, which basically targets the college grad, which it's a fun role because what we do is try to have them where they do spend time in the field. I really want folks to understand the front line. But beyond that, Lisa, we want them to also be exposed to other aspects of the security function and the things that are the administrative jobs that might be behind the scenes to the training plans that have to be curated and created that or what we drive to the research that we might be doing because, I mean, something of late, you know, the advent of fentanyl in our society and people having it in their possession. I mean, you're right. I mean, Having those kinds of capabilities for people to be able to see what really is the right role for me. And I introduced that many, many years ago, and I still love it now because what ends up happening is folks can start seeing all the different opportunities that can be found while they still get really good frontline exposure to understanding what's happening so that they can, we're trying to really build that next generation of leaders but to really give them a good foundation so that as they continue to grow in their career trajectory, we can have a successful story and get them where they're best suited to. Yeah, I totally agree about the rebrand. It's like we've got a rebrand from being branded like for the security officers as a mall cop to more branded along the lines of a Marine and something, you know, of valor. And so that's kind of the point, part of the purpose of this security heroes podcast is like be a hero and everyone wants to be a hero. So what is IAHSS or your or other organizations doing to help do a rebrand? Yeah, you know, I had a chance to to bring this idea to the conversation that was we want to be a force for good. I mean, right? Let's make good happen. Let's yeah, exactly. Making bad happen. Let's not be, you know, you know, with our marketing campaigns being arms folded and standing rigid and looking like 
we want to be the Terminator kind of mentality. We want to be that person that is engaging. Someone folks feel comfortable having a conversation who's helpful, but who also is helping really good things to occur in life and in these healthcare specifically. And I think that's one of the bigger challenges that we want to continue to make and see it. A lot of folks just don't. I mean, I'll go back to the one of the conversations I mentioned in the very early part of this discussion. You sit on a plane with somebody and they ask you what do you do for a living? And I just sort of, well, I, I'm focused on helping keeping hospitals safe. And really, what does that mean? When I give them a little next level detail and I, I get it almost 100%. Really? They need that in hospitals? And then I was like, I can go into a little more detail if you want. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. And after that conversation, they look at me and said, I never knew. I get the same response. No one, I mean, I didn't know either. We started this company going after school shootings. And then we're like, wow, there's so much need also in, in healthcare. So I had no idea either. It's not publicized like other, you know, but I totally agree. It's like, we've got to make it heroic. What's positive innovation. A lot of gains, a lot of benefits, right? To yeah, exactly. space. And a lot of those, I mean, I use the term often. I mean, we got to capture their hearts and we got to capture their heads. And that's what we're really trying to do. And, you know, when we do leadership development, I mean, I encourage folks all the time and thank them for what they're doing. Sometimes yeah. people are doing some really good things and they didn't know how, what kind of difference they made because they never heard from anyone else. And so help them see the, the benefits that they're having. That's why I love the story of the letter that the mom wrote. But there's so many countless other conversations. Share those with them. Celebrate the differences that they're making. And the confidence that they're getting in their stakeholder groups, because that's huge. And I always say to people, and don't make it just about security, because so much of what we do is about a patient experience. And when that happens, I think we have a really positive impact on positive outcomes of care. And I don't think we talk about that enough. I don't know if we have the science and evidence to say, oh, one equals two there. But I do believe we have, and I think most that have been spending any time in the space would say, we have a very positive impact. We make people feel safe. So they feel safe in their environment when they're at their most vulnerable. I mean, gosh, if any of us have ever been in a hospital and was an inpatient, I mean, think about that gown first and foremost. It's not something that makes you want to get up and walk around. You're in a door. You're in a room with a door that won't even lock. So not like you're in a hotel space where you're secured in your own environment. So you don't have that luxury. And then what do we find elsewise? We find ourselves in a position that a lot of times, you know, there's drugs that are being administered to help us managing pain for maybe a procedure that we had or or there for other reasons, or we're there for a loved one who we didn't even have any idea they were going to need the care delivery system when we saw them last this morning. And then all of a sudden we get the call and here they are. And we're coming in just being able to soothe their emotional well-being is such an important factor of everything that we're doing. And I think the more folks see that impacts the positive outcomes of care, the better they're going to be in understanding, hey, that's helping them drive that mission orientation that I think is so critical for our success. Totally agree. Talk to me about how you've seen some organizations respond after a terrible incident and just some suggestions for organizations. Well, security is event-driven, and it has been since the first day I walked into a hospital and serving in a professional capacity. However, I think what's important is we do our security vulnerability assessments or any other kind of reviews that we're doing for security that we may get told no because varying reasons. It may not be the right time. It may not be budgeted allocated, or we may just be fighting against other expenditures. 
in the organization, or we may not have done enough to educate those leaders. But when the events happen, that's not the time to have a knee-jerk reaction. It's a time to be very thoughtful, but really lead through an after-action review. I'm a huge believer, especially after volatility and with a patient, huddle right afterwards. Take a lesson learned. If you're doing a drill or an exercise, the insights that you get right on the heels of that are the, some of the most insightful, and you have an audience that sees, oh, that didn't work, and here's why. Because these plans that we make, sometimes they always need to be tweaked, and there are always opportunities to improve upon them. But when we have our vulnerability assessments, those SVAs in play, what we're able to do now is when those organizations, what should we do? That's the plan we're pulling out, and this is what we want to try to make accomplish. It's not just go put a duress button for everybody. It's a matter of saying, what do we need to do? And this is what we think would make the environment safer. But it's thoughtful, it's strategic, and it's not just reaction. And there are plenty of times when that's where the dollars are. And let's face it, that's when dollars do get made available, uh-huh. very quickly so. And I think it's important. But I also think it's time to, if I was talking to our, my colleagues and professionals, Take a real deep breath and keep your emotions in check, but take advantage of the moment and says, I got a plan for that. And it's not the time to say, I gave you this plan six months ago. That's not the time to say that. Right. It's time to say, hey, you may recall, we talked about this. It wasn't the time then, but I do think this is still very appropriate now. Let's yeah. make this happen. Whether that's because we had a farm that got through and now a patient had a farm and a backpack and a nurse found it. And although it may not have resulted in in a shooting, it did shake their confidence. It did shake them. Well, maybe that's when we look at having a weapons detection system that says, how could we prevent that from occurring? And what does that require? And understanding that, hey, there's not just, oh, it's just equipment. Well, no, there's staffing, there's equipment, there's Uh mentality, but then there's also a process that needs to be followed, right? It's thoughtful. And that's why I mean by strategic. But in the events that happen, and they do happen, and in healthcare's no longer a safe haven, sadly. I mean, we saw the event. We're talking here on the 13th day of July. And what happened yesterday was a doctor was targeted in a shooting in Memphis. Those events, sadly, are occurring in our society. And of course, we're not going to be immune to that inside of healthcare. So what can we do? We have to continue to think about mitigation and layers of protection. And the more we can do that, I think the better we'll be. And realize there's no one silver bullet. There's no one thing. But if I was to encourage something I said earlier, don't try to fix the problem with just staff. Try Uh to fix it with education, policy, technology, because those sustain themselves. And it may be the right call. There are times when it will be the right call. But don't go there first. Go there last. And then I think you'll find that that can have sustainable, positive impact when they're having it. But collaborate and bring others into the conversation. Don't make these decisions. As security professionals, we have to use our stakeholder groups to help them make certain what we're talking and thinking meets their expectations so they're not resistant to it. It's not change done to them. It's change done with them. And those things make a huge difference. Yeah. I think taking a holistic approach is so important. It's not just the tech, it's also the training, it's also the process. So it's just the whole thing is so important. What tech though are you excited about with this that you know that's coming to market and can help save people's lives? You know, I've talked about weapons detection and people probably probably seated me doing what your organization does, but let me say you didn't. And but I am excited about it. I feel like the future of healthcare 
is going to use weapons detection at more than emerge. They're going to be at all, a lot more of the public entry points. I'm also a big believer in body-worn cameras. I think we're going to see that the deterrent effect it has on behaviors when people know they're being recorded, as well as the occasional individual that might have a little bit of a bigger head than they should be who is in and wearing the uniform. And I think the deterrent impact is very positive. And where I've seen it deployed, I've seen some really, really good outcomes. And as we continue to see what's happening, I mean, I'm a huge fan of video surveillance and in the AI that's working behind the scenes, but of course the basic access control that's sitting out there. But I would share, Lisa, in addition, I mentioned to you earlier, the blue sky kind of capability that we're bringing to the table. What is it doing? It's informing us. It's intelligence that we know now that we didn't know yesterday. And how do we take action on that? It's invaluable. And I think the more we continue to leverage it and allow ourselves to do it. And then last thing I, I would say on that front is the security space that we're in is still an art form, sadly, but I am very proud of the IHSS and what they're trying to do with the data warehouse project. And it's getting rebranded. So I'm just not space. I'm not remembering exactly how that brand is done, but here's what it's going to accomplish. It's going to start helping us understand how do we move to more of an evidence-based approach for security so that when we do start deploying these technologies or staffing certain locations or other things, is it having a positive impact on the negative outcomes that have been experienced in healthcare? And the more we do that, I think the more influence we're going to have. And I think I may not see the full benefit in my lifetime and my career arc, but I do know those that are going to follow. It's going to be the game changer that 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to really be shaking our head and saying, wow, how'd they ever do that without this? And wow. it's going to be a difference maker. Yeah, I mean, the data is so important. I mean, when we put our system into these hospitals for like a pilot and we can show like you caught 10 guns and or 10 weapons in the first night, it's just people are shocked. So you have been so awesome to talk to you, by the way. Your passion I, is just amazing for this industry. I also interested in, you just have a huge perspective, right? You've seen the security industry before 9-11, after 9-11. And then you mentioned her, Katrina. And I don't think most people know how the security industry was affected after that. And then, and then we have COVID, right? Three huge events. Maybe just talk a little bit about that and how you've seen it kind of affect Security, I feel really lucky that you've had that perspective. You know, I think 9-11 stands on its own because of just what it did and changed us. I mean, one, we started realizing the terrorism that could happen on our homeland was a real issue. I think today it's more, it's not just what's the concern from the traditional terroristic groups. It's also, you know, the those homegrown lone wolves that I think are really majorly concerning to us. Katrina did this for us. It helped bring to light the importance of business continuity, resiliency, understanding how does emergency management. And now today, I think security and the EM, if they're not paired together under the same umbrella in a department, they're very closely partnered. And I think it's really helping us understand how are we best prepared. And I think they're both strategies under risk management. And I don't mean the department, I mean the mindset of how are we best managing risk and thinking about the risk facing these organizations? And I think that has tremendous value, Lisa. And I think that's what we want to continue to, to leverage. Obviously, COVID did something that we never thought we could do. We started actually screening everybody in a matter of a few short days. 
And if you would have been listening to me for 10 years prior and the conversations I had in return, it was thinking that was going to be of most challenge and maybe next to impossible. And it did happen. And what happened there, though, is that we started seeing the, the advent of how ugly society can be in their worst moments. We also saw how beautiful society can be. So I know I'm speaking in, in a very pessimistic way. It's not actually my natural disposition. But in so many ways, I think that's what we're sensing. And I think that's what we have to continue to try to drive through and move on that front. Because Lisa, what we're doing right now is trying to create psychological safety, the real safety that happens. And also when people are in their environment, that they know they can go to work and they feel safe because violence is prevalent. In violence, I'll just say it this way again, there's intentional issues that we have. We have people who come in and, and they do, they just want to cause harm. They're just being disruptive. They're being, we're seeing their ugliest side, but there are others that come in and they are volatile, but it's unintentional. It's medical induced. It's a behavioral health crisis. The trauma they might have just been exposed to most recently that brought them to us or in their past is something that we have to remember is at the heart of what's happening. And so we can't just see it and say, oh, it's just one aspect of violence, even though it may be patient on staff. And I feel like that's such an important piece because we can't build a callus up as those that are trying to help keep the staff members safe, but also those individuals safe from themselves and others. Well, I think I feel like I could talk to you for another couple of hours about everything. You're a wealth of knowledge and your passion is really inspirational. Just talk a little bit more about your mission, what drives you every day. And that would be great to conclude on, I think. I'll leave it with this. It's been a goal of mine to drive and raise the bar of professionalism in the healthcare security industry. And that happens in many, many different ways. And I think we have to, I'm a big believer in a Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in others. I love it. It's a great, great ending. Thank you so, so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care of yourself. Security Heroes is brought to you by Athena Security. To find out more about Athena Security and how we help save lives through our weapon detection solution, visit www.athena-security.com. And then make sure to search for Security Heroes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Athena, thanks for listening.